I've had enough of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject, The Modern History of Israel. This is part one of the series. The nation of Israel has a prophetic destiny, and it's linked with the realization and understanding that it was Yeshua, the Messiah, who made covenant with Abraham, as we are told in the book of Genesis. And then the nation of Israel is regarded as being the apple of the eye of the God of Israel, and they are likened unto a fig tree. And Yeshua explained that when this fig tree blossoms, that that is when he's going to return and when he's going to set up his kingdom. So when we look at the nation of Israel today, how do we understand the mindset of the people, the mindset of the government? And how do we understand all the dynamics that are going on within the country. Well, in order to do so, we need to understand the history of the nations because ultimately there is an encounter that the nation of Israel has with the nations of the world wherein it is prophesied that they will want to divide the land of Israel in the city of Jerusalem. This brings about the judgment of the nations and And while the nations are being judged, the God of Israel is going to intervene and deliver and save his people. And while the nations of the world try to destroy Israel, it is the God of Israel who never slumbers nor sleeps. And so through these things, the Messiah will be revealed to his people and he in his coming will come to gather and unite the 12 tribes of Israel, bringing his people back to the land of Israel. So we are going to study the history of the modern nation of Israel as a background to understanding these things. So we begin by realizing that it was Yeshua who made covenant with Abraham. In Genesis in chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 3, it is written, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get you out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house unto a land that I will show you, and I will bless
Bless them that bless you and curse him that curses you. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, it is written, When Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am El Shaddai, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. So the one that is making covenant with Abraham refers to himself as Almighty God or in Hebrew, El Shaddai. And if we cross-reference Genesis chapter 17, verse 1 with Revelation chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, we can see that the one that appeared to Abram is Yeshua the Messiah. So in Revelation chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, it is written, Behold, he comes with clouds and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, or in Hebrew, it would be the Aleph and the Tav, the first and the last letters of the Hebrew alphabet. The beginning and the ending, says Yahweh, says the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come. And Yahweh in Hebrew means to eternally exist, to be. So the Alpha and the Omega is Yahweh, who is, and who is also the Almighty, or El Shaddai. In Galatians, in chapter 3, verse 16, when Paul explains that it was Yeshua who made covenant with Abraham, he's making a quote or he's making a reference back to Genesis in chapter 17, verse 7, where it is written, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee and your seed after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto you and to your seed after you. And in the Targums, it is rendered this way, that the covenant that was being made with Abraham was being made with the word of God. And in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we see that the word of God is a term or a title for Yeshua. So it goes on to say, and I will give unto you and to your seed after you the land where you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be your God. So Paul is referring to Genesis chapter 17, verse 7 in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, where he says, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He says not seeds as of many, but as of one into your seed, which is Messiah. Then it says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, that if you are Messiahs, if you believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, then are you Abraham's seed and you are an heir according to the promise. So how are believers in Yeshua an heir of what was promised to Abraham by believing in Yeshua as the Messiah? Well, it's because whenever you accept Yeshua as your Savior and Lord, you enter into covenant relationship with him. And that covenant relationship is a marriage covenant. And so whenever you accept Yeshua as Savior and Lord, you're in covenant with him. And so then you are also in covenant with everyone that he's in covenant with. And he made covenant with Abraham. Therefore, in Messiah, you are Abraham's seed and you are an heir according to the promise. And Yeshua is going to fulfill the covenant that he made with Abraham. And there is a controversy in the end of days regarding who owns the land, where the nations of the world want to recognize Judea. 
Judea and Samaria, as it is called in the Bible, or the world refers to it as the West Bank, and they want to recognize the West Bank and East Jerusalem as the territory for a Palestinian state, that there would be a Palestinian state in the West Bank with East Jerusalem as its capital. And this is in conflict with the covenant that Yeshua made with Abraham. And so this is why the nations are going to be judged for dividing his land and the nation of Israel, the nations of the world, and the people on the earth have a decision to make regarding whether they're going to believe and stand with the covenant that Yeshua made with Abraham, or are they going to disregard the covenant and try to make the claim that that covenant land belongs to somebody else. So this is how and why the covenant that Yeshua made with Abraham is linked with understanding the modern history of the nation of Israel. Now, the land of Israel is the heritage of the nation of Israel. As we can see in Exodus chapter 6, verse 8, and I will bring you in unto the land concerning which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it you for a heritage. I am the Lord. Now in Psalm 135, verse 12, and he gave their land for a heritage, a heritage unto Israel, his people. Israel is the apple of the eye of the God of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 9 and 10, it is written, For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in a waste howling wilderness. He led him about, he instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. Zechariah chapter 2 verse 8, For thus says the Lord of hosts, After the glory has he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. For he that touches you touches the apple of his eye. Israel is likened unto a fig tree. Hosea chapter 9 verse 10. I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree. When the disciples come to Yeshua and they are on the Mount of Olives in Matthew chapter 24 verse 3, they ask of him a question. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world or the end of the age? And so in giving his answer, Yeshua said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 32, now learn a parable of the fig tree. The fig tree is a reference to the nation of Israel. When his branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. Verse 33, so likewise you, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. So now this brings us to the first century. If we are going to understand the modern history of the nation of Israel, we need to understand certain things regarding the first century because the events that happened in the first century, they influenced the founding of the nation of Israel and its leaders in modern times. Specifically, the modern nation of Israel was built by secular Jews because religious Jews were not interested in making an attempt to found a modern state of Israel because they believed that this could only be done by the Messiah. So in an article in the Jewish press,
press entitled The Coming of the Messiah, written by Rabbi Shalom Kloss. He explained that there was a high Jewish expectation in the first century for a personal Messiah. He goes on to write in the article, The belief in a personal Messiah reached its highest tension during that period of the first century when Rome sent her despotic procurators to rule over Judea. The yoke was most oppressive and the Jews awaited the leader whom God would send to articulate their latent spirit of rebellion and free them from the Roman tyranny. In the first century, the Jewish people longed for a political Messiah who would free them from the oppression of Rome. Because of this desire, various Jewish groups rose up in opposition against Rome. Major wars were fought by the Jewish people against Rome in the year 70 and then also in the year 135. In the year 135, a Jewish military leader named Simon Bar Kokhba led a revolt against Rome. At this time, one of the most respected rabbis of the period, Rabbi Akiva, proclaimed the Jewish military leader Bar Kokhba as the political Jewish Messiah who would free the Jewish people from the Roman oppression. During that time, Rome was successful in winning every war against the Jewish people. As a result, Rome began to sell the Jewish people into slavery and initiated the exile of the Jewish people into all nations of the world. In the book by Moses Nachmanides, known as the Ramban, the book is entitled The Book of Redemption. He explains from Deuteronomy in chapter 28 verse 49 the Lord will bring a nation against you from far from the ends of the earth as swift as the eagle flies a nation whose tongue you will not understand and then verse 64 and the Lord will scatter you among all people from one end of the earth even unto the other and there you will serve other gods which neither you nor your fathers have known even wood and stone verse 68 and the Lord shall bring you into Egypt again with ships by the way whereof I spake unto you. You shall see it no more again and there you shall be sold unto your enemies for bondmen and bondwomen and no man shall buy you. So Moses Nachmanides pointed out that these scriptures were fulfilled in the first century and this is exactly what the Romans did to the Jewish people. That as is recorded in Roman history that the Jews among other things they were taken into Egypt with ships. And so, in part, these prophecies in Deuteronomy chapter 28 regarding what would be the consequence when the nation of Israel broke the covenant and went into exile was fulfilled by Rome in the events that transpired in the first century. So, it's with this background, realizing that it was the Jewish people who longed for the Messiah to come and deliver them from Roman oppression, and there were uprisings against Rome, wars fought against Rome with the desire that the Messiah would bring the deliverance from the Roman oppression, and then from Rome defeating the Jews, and because what it did to the Jewish people at large, there began to come into their mindset to not take a proactive approach toward ending the exile and coming 
against those who ruled over them, but the mindset became one more of survival and to be passive and to try to get along with your enemies within the exile. And so that's the history and the context from which we need to understand the events in our modern times that led to the creation of the state of Israel in 1948. So we could also explain it this way, that because of the hardship brought to the Jewish people in fighting against Rome, losing the wars, being sold into slavery, and being exiled into the nations of the world, the Jewish people began to embrace the ideology of passive resistance against their oppressors from that time forward. This mindset continued to be prevalent in the late 1800s. In fact, some sects of Orthodox Judaism insisted that any return to the Holy Land or the land of Israel must be carried out by the Messiah and that to take matters into one's own hands would be blasphemous. However, anti-Jewish sentiment in Europe in the late 1800s began to change this mindset among secular Jews. This change in mindset and the desire for secular Jews to return to the land of Israel to escape oppression and anti-Semitism without waiting for these matters to be carried out through the rise of a political Jewish Messiah became known as the Zionist movement, or we could see it as the secular Zionist movement. What is Zionism? Zionism comes from the biblical word Zion. It is often used as a cinnamon for a love for the city of Jerusalem in the land of Israel. Jewish Zionism is an ideology that expresses the yearning of Jews all over the world for their historical homeland of Zion, the land of Israel. The foundation of Jewish Zionism is rooted in the belief that the land of Israel is the historical birthplace of the Jewish people and that Jewish life anywhere else in the world is a life of exile. Theodore Herzl is regarded as being the father of the modern secular Zionist movement. Theodore Herzl is the man credited with being the founder of modern Zionism. He was born in Budapest, Hungary in 1860. His parents, though Jewish, had no religious sentiment and young Herzl was educated in the spirit of German Jewish enlightenment of the time. Theodore Herzl studied law at the University of Vienna. After graduating in 1884 with a doctorate in law, he left law and became the Paris correspondent for the Vienna Free Press, a liberal newspaper. During this time, Herzl became sensitive toward the Jewish problem of anti-Semitism. In 1892, the famous Dreyfus trial began in Paris, France. Here, an assimilated Jew named Alfred Dreyfus on the French general staff was wrongly accused and imprisoned. Herzl witnessed the riotous behavior of French mobs and the public humiliation of the Jewish officer Dreyfus when they taunted the French Jewish army captain with shouts of death to the Jews. These events impacted Herzl so strongly that he became consumed with the desire for all Jews to have a national homeland to free them from social injustice and anti-Semitism. For Herzl, this meant a sovereign Jewish state. For the first time in his life, Herzl began attending Jewish religious services. And in order to seek to work on achieving this goal, Herzl published the book, A Jewish State. In 1896, Herzl began to communicate his dream by publishing The Jewish State. More than any other single factor, Herzl's book was most responsible for gathering 
galvanizing the support of world Jewry for political Zionism. His solution called for individual Jews to immigrate to Palestine, buy land from the Turks, cultivate it into productivity, and build a Jewish majority in the land, and thus reestablish the Jewish homeland. In 1897, Theodore Herzl called the first Zionist Congress at Basel, Switzerland. It opened on August 29, 1897, and was attended by some 204 participants from 17 countries. At this time, the World Zionist Organization was established, and Herzl became its first president. Here, he officially launched the Zionist movement with a specific statement of purpose. The object of Zionism is to establish for the Jewish people a publicly and legally assured home in Palestine. Initially, when Herzl began to expound his ideas of having a central world organization so that Jews worldwide could move in mass to some yet unknown territory, he was met with stiff opposition from Eastern European Jews who dismissed the idea and thought that Herzl was crazy. Both Orthodox and Reform rabbis branded Herzl and his ideas as visionary but impractical. Nevertheless, Herzl continued to pursue his dream and spread his ideas. Herzl's greatest desire was for the Jewish people to have a national homeland to shelter them from the anti-Semitism that they have historically experienced in the nations of the world where they have lived over the centuries. Therefore, it did not matter to Herzl which country or territory was given to the Jewish people. Herzl's energies seemed boundless as he assumed the role of roving ambassador for the Jews in the highest places of government. No confrontation faced him. He fearlessly challenged opulent financiers, held audiences with the Kaiser, the Turkish Sultan, the King of Italy, and the Pope, and he approached leading officials of Russia and Great Britain. With his unique polished demeanor, he became a diplomat par excellence for the Zionist cause. Herzl worked hard to find a territory for the Jews. At first, Sinai and Cyprus were two territories under consideration. In 1903, the British offered Herzl the area called Uganda because pogroms and oppression in Russia was increasing for the Jews during this period. Herzl felt that a homeland in Uganda was a credible proposal. Therefore, Herzl submitted the Uganda plan to the Sixth Zionist Congress. However, this proposal met strong opposition and was rejected. The Eastern European Jews regarded it as a betrayal of the dream of settling in the land of Israel. So strong and hostile was the opposition to the Uganda plan that Herzl wrote a written commitment to abandon it. In 1904, Herzl died of a heart attack at the age of 44. For his efforts, Theodore Herzl became a living legend and became known as the father of modern Zionism. From here, Heim Weissman picked up the baton. He became, during the time of World War I, the new leader of the Zionist movement. After Herzl's death, the new leader of Zionism became Heim Weissman. Born in Russia in 1874, Weissman attended college at German and Swiss universities. In 1904, he began teaching at Manchester, England. Unlike Herzl, Weissman believed that a homeland in the ancient land of Israel was the only practical solution for the Jewish people. His reasons were not religious, but were derived from his perceived political realities. Just as Herzl's journalism caused him to be in the right place at the divinely appointed time, Weissman's chemistry talents caused the same thing to happen to him. Because of World War I, Britain had a need that Weissman was able to meet. When the Allies' supply of acetone to produce munitions began to run out, which was previously imported from Germany, the British staff called on Weissman to find some substitute. Well, that's going to 
conclude part one of the series on the subject, The Modern History of Israel. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebrews.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and... Please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.